Hello, and welcome to Mornings with Joel, commercial real estate podcast, where we focus on rising stars and established players in commercial real estate and talk to them about how they are building legacies in today's marketplace. So welcome, everyone. We'd like to invite you to the Mornings with Joel CLE podcast. And we're very excited today to have uh, Quinn Green. Uh, excited to have him here with us today. And as you see, uh, obviously, he has some background and experience with REIT. So we're going to talk about that a little bit today as well. But we're excited to have you with us. And uh, Quinn, we're certainly excited to have you with us as well. So thank you for being here this morning and uh, sharing your time and your insights. We certainly appreciate that. So, it's uh, a privilege to be here. I appreciate it, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, first of all, um, start off. You know, who are you, Quinn? What, what's your background? And, uh, you know, I know you're, you've been knocking it out in commercial real estate and doing your thing. So, uh, tell us a little bit about your background. So, I I fell into to commercial real estate. And I, I've been fortunate to have spent now probably about 10 years in that side of the business. But I, I started studying real estate actually at Georgia State. So spent some time at Georgia State University, took some real estate classes. Real estate wasn't my major, but I just knew I had an interest in it. And I had the opportunity to work with a, a developer, construction company uh, by the name of H.J. Russell uh, when he was still alive and did a, a co-op with his company and a, a on a light tech project, so low income housing, uh, tax credit and, and senior housing, and got really my first taste of commercial from that end. And uh, it's almost like working with a nonprofit, right? Because the numbers are just so different and yeah. the uh, affordable housing space. But, you know, really got a chance to see uh, uh, a somebody who looked like me doing commercial real estate, which I had no exposure to. I had seen, you know, residential uh, folks that were doing deals and doing, you know, fairly well. But to see a, a African-American male in that space and running a, a, a fairly large company uh, at that time, it was probably the largest uh, in the country. So had had an opportunity to work under, under him. And uh, after that, got my license and started doing residential because that was the path of least resistance. It was easy to, to get into residential. I knew a lot more people in yeah. residential. When I was fish, finishing up with Russell, the market was uh, was pretty soft. So they just told me, like, hey, look, we, we really love to have you on board, but we're kind of in a hiring freeze. Make sure you stay in touch. And I did that. I, I stayed in touch with uh, the folks who I worked under. And in the meantime, was doing residential and got licensed in 02, 02, 03, and ended up spending roughly about 10 years just finding my way through residential. And I ended up having a client of mine that uh, asked to do some commercial. And I didn't know what, what what to do, but I just was thinking about the commission. And I was like, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I, I could do I could do it. We'll figure it, it out. <laughs> yeah, they wanted a strip center. They wanted a strip center. And I'm just thinking, like, oh, okay, if I if I get you know three percent of that and you know carry the one, then it's gonna be it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a nice payday. And uh, you know, just just dive, dove right in and, and didn't know what the hell I was doing, honestly, and, and found out quickly that mm-hmm. I didn't know. And it just happened to be it was a husband and wife. And the husband was a, a VP with a bank. So he was throwing out terminology that was literally going over my head. And I just, you know, you, you get in that fake it till you make it type situation. <laughs> and, and literally that first day I was like, no, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. So I ended up having to refer him out. Okay. And um, it was it was tough. It was tough. It was tough. But that was really my first entree. And I just at that point, that was 2012. Uh, I decided I'd never get caught like that again and just pivoted and found REIT and, and the rest is history. Okay. All right. Well, wow, that's, that's interesting. And it's, it's kind of funny you, uh, you say that because you kind of got thrown into the deep end of the pool. And um, most people don't realize how different commercial is from residential. I mean, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. And, you know, I, I try to help people to appreciate that on the finance side, when you're looking at the residential piece, 
it's how much can you afford from your paycheck, basically, as opposed to the commercial side where it's can the building support itself. And if yeah. you look at it that way, from a fundamental standpoint, you know, you can kind of get your arms around the difference in the way you have to calculate the numbers and whatnot. So uh, very, very interesting insights there. And uh, you mentioned H.J. Russell, you know, a little small company, but you kind of <laughs> you kind of brought that full circle. So, yeah. yeah they've, been, they've been knocking it out the park for a long time. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So what's, well, so what's really your, your expertise now? So right now I work in kind of the small, what I would consider small commercial space. I work with uh, investors primarily in, in that multifamily asset class. So, you know, in, in terms of getting exposed to uh, commercial, I had to really ramp up and learn all the different aspects of commercial. And, you know, I've got to bring it full circle back to to REAP because REAP actually gave me that exposure and that allowed me to kind of figure out what appealed most to me. And I, and I tell people all the time, like the, the residential piece, a lot of the fundamentals are there. So if you're doing residential deals, I, I encourage people not to be intimidated by commercial because uh, mm-hmm. it, can, it, can, it can actually be done just because you don't see a lot of people that look like you doing it doesn't mean you can't do it. And I actually kind of got pulled in by folks telling me that I shouldn't, right? So it's like, oh man, you don't want to do, you don't want to do commercial. It's, it's too hard. It's, it's this, it's that. And that was probably more enticing to me. I said, oh, really? I don't want to do that? Okay, got it. So all the people <laughs> I see that are doing it seem to be doing really, really well, but they just don't look like me, right? And, uh, you know, I started asking questions around it and found multifamily. And multifamily and residential had a lot of overlap. So mm-hmm. it was more easy for me to kind of understand. But it was a pivot kind of similar to, to your comment before in terms of really looking at real estate as a revenue generator, which in residential, typically you don't you don't do that. Obviously, with you know investments being up and, and, and that kind of thing, a lot of cash moving around in the market people are starting to think like that, mm-hmm. but there are, there, there just was a lot of parallels and a lot of similarities. So that was generally when you're doing residential, you're doing one door per deal mm-hmm. uh, and multifamily, you're doing multiple doors, right? So if you think about it, say if I'm doing a $250,000 house or townhouse, just think of it as, okay, now I have 10, $250,000. It's, it's still like the fundamentals are still the same. Yeah. It's just, you've got more doors, you've got more rooftops, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. So that was, that was easier for me. I work in multifamily, but I've, I've been pulled into land deals and land assemblage, uh, some pre-development stuff, a single tenant and really small tenant rep stuff. So I work now on the landlord and on the tenant side, uh, working with leases and helping nonprofits. So nonprofits, I've got a kind of a passion for uh, nonprofits, and it's very different than working with for for profit or institutional buyers and investors because nonprofits have one mission and typically limited budget, right? Either they get grants or, or something uh, to that effect through donations and sponsorships. So. It's a very unique niche, but because a lot of the work that I do is kind of servant leadership type stuff, mm-hmm. um, I, I can easy, more easily speak their language, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good and, and admirable. You know, the, uh, the nonprofit side, as you mentioned, is, is always challenging. You know, I look at things from a finance standpoint and, um, you know, you always think, OK, well, what's the guarantees on that income? Because a, a donor is not going to sign a contract. Well, in some cases they do, but some cases they don't. You know, they might just be a one-time donation uh, as opposed to something that's going to happen year after year like a lease would. So, you know, it, it could certainly be, be challenging from that standpoint. Um, and the reserves are different. The reserves are different, too. I mean, you think about it like you, sure. you go with the in- institutional uh, type of, of business and, and they've got, you know, X amount in the bank and their profit and loss is looking great and et cetera. Whereas to you know nonprofits, they're supposed to zero out every year. Like it's it's just a whole whole different ball game. And you know, to your point, you really what, what I found in kind of getting in commercial and probably what's most intimidating to people is the finance, right? So, you know, one of the things that that I've taken away, Joel, in terms of just being intimidated by finances, okay. How do I, how can I, I perfect it or how can I get better at it? And, and you don't, what I found is 
you don't necessarily have to be a rocket scientist in Excel or, you know, pro formas, et cetera. But you do need to at least be able to understand, uh, one, what the investor's objective is, and two, you know, how to how to put that story together and, and, and really identify what you don't know. So know what you don't know. And then, you know, surround yourself with people like you who have that expertise, right? Just stay in your lane. If you're a deal maker, which for me, that's it. Like I'm a deal maker. I, I put people together. I'm a connector. But, you know, if it's something super complicated and you'll see that like in developments, you know, you got capital stacks and waterfalls and all this other extra stuff. Mm-hmm. It's like, man, that's that's way over my head, particularly if you're just getting into the business. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you can't be part of a deal. That just means you need to bring in a Joel Miller to say, hey, what the hell is it? How do I make it pencil? How do I make it make sense on paper? And, and that's really what I what I learned was surrounding myself with with people who had that expertise, but also looking at programs like like REAP to get that education and, or at least that exposure, that experience. So between REAP and, and I would say, you know, CCIM has been pretty instrumental too. So we might be able to touch on that a little bit later, but I would just say for anybody who has any anxiety around the finances outside of reaching out to Joel, uh, definitely look at, you know, the, the CCIM curriculum and programs like uh, Project REAP, because you can get that exposure and at least get familiar with what really makes sense to investors and, and you know, clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very good point. Um, you know, and even myself, you know, as before we went online, we were talking about, um, you know, what, what we were up to this morning and everything else. And I had an early morning meeting about a deal we're working on in the Midwest and a uh, similar situation. It was like, look, I'm a finance guy, but if I go in there thinking that I'm going to, you know, do the construction for this particular site, I'm never going to get financing myself. Yeah. Right? You know, yeah. because right. somebody else is better at that than me, knows that game better than me. And I've got to partner up with them to make sure that I have that, that box checked, if you will. You know, yeah. And I'm getting pressure to, you know, we need to go on the contract. And I'm like, look, unless the execution is there, I'm not moving forward. You know, it makes so, sense. Yeah. Well, you got to be able to talk that language, too. Right? right. So, you know, in in what I do in the sales side of things, if I'm not able to meet people where they are. Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm not able to, to, to talk their lingo then a lot of times you you just can't get deals done. And one of the things that I know just from my experience working and what I do in commercial is, you know, how do you make a project or a deal make sense on paper? How do you make it bankable, right? Mm-hmm. And that means you've really got to understand what the triggers are uh, for either the investor, the underwriter, et cetera, and, and be able to talk their language to explain a deal because all they're looking at is numbers, right? So a lot of times there's a lot more uh, of a story behind the numbers. And it just took, you know, kind of knocking my head against the wall a few times to figure that out. Like, okay, we're, we're kind of trying to get to the same space in terms of doing a deal, but I'm not talking the language that you understand. So let me educate myself on what makes sense to you. So when I present it, then I'm talking mono to mono and it's easier for you to sell to whoever you got to make that decision. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a very good point, Quinn, because um, I know on the finance side, it's simply what are the numbers? You know, what's the return? What's the multiple? What's the IRR? What's the this? What's the that? You know, and how do we get there? Right. And and oftentimes, um, to your point, you know, with investors, it's like, look, I need to be at a at a 17 IRR or I need to be at a 22 or whatever that number is. And it's almost, you know, being agnostic to the real estate. You know, it's just, can I get my number and be where I need to be if you're on the money side? You know, now on the other side, there might be a little bit more passion that goes into it. But, you know, to your point, it's all about the numbers and how can you make those numbers work. So it always comes down to the money, though. It always it always comes down to the money. And that's that's what I've seen probably is most different when people ask me to kind of compare and contrast residential to commercial is, you know, at, at the end of the day, it's got a pencil. It's got, it's got to make sense. It's got, the numbers have to work. And that's what, what I think is probably most unique about the nonprofit space, because the nonprofit client, if you will, just wears a different perspective, right? So a lot of times it's not really bottom line driven, it's mission driven, right? You know, how, how many, how many, families are we touching? How many, how many veterans 
are we helping? You know, what what kind of kids are we getting off of the street? Mm-hmm. So for me, that that really that really has always appealed to me, right? I've got a, I've got a soft spot. I I was kind of raised in the nonprofit world. My mother is uh, AK. She's she's in a sorority. She's very active. So when I was growing up, she would take me to service projects and all kind of stuff. So I was always raised around something service related, mm-hmm. and I got an opportunity when I was coming up and actually I was still, I was doing real estate and, and this was around the same time I was getting into commercial and I got involved with a United program at United Way called uh, VIP and VIP program basically trains individuals with professional backgrounds to serve on boards. And at the time I was looking at that as an angle to broaden my sphere of influence really for client referrals. I'm like, well, these are the decision makers that I want to be doing business with. So I want to serve on boards, but I want to have a diverse network where these folks are, you know, have very distinguished roles in companies that I may not have access to. And that'd be a good way to refer. And that was my initial intent. But when I got into it and kind of got exposed to like the mission and, you know, how, how there's a community side of things and servant leadership, I was like, yo, this, this is where I need to be. Right. And, and it kind of shifted from, just straight business lead gen type stuff to, okay, this, this could actually fulfill a purpose, a life purpose for me, right? What, what, what is my legacy going to be if, if I check out tomorrow? And when I started to kind of shift my mindset from that perspective, it was like, okay, well, maybe it's not just about deals. Maybe, maybe you do good and then, you know, you get good out of doing good. And, and that's that's kind of that's kind of how I found my way in terms of just getting involved in nonprofits and then now having to work with them. It's just understanding that, you know, when you go into the mindset with just, hey, what's the return on investment? And they've got a waiting list of two, three years of people trying to get shelter. The the, the pain points are a lot different. Right. And, and it's, it's not about, you know, meeting shareholders you know, <laughs> trying to trying to maximize shareholders equity. This is more, hey, look, how many how many people are we touching? And, you know, how are we fulfilling our mission? And, and that makes a that makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually glad you brought that out because really it's um it, it's a, a necessary thing, you know, that everything doesn't need to be dollar driven. You know, it, it needs to be about the value that you can bring to other people's lives uh, and being able to help them step up to that next level. In, in their life, you know, whatever it may be. And, you know, housing is a is an essential part to, to just life. You got to have shelter, right? So, you know, doing the things that you do in that regard and helping out in that regard, I'm, I'm glad you you had that epiphany, if you will, that kind of created that shift because we, we need people like that, uh, you know, like yourself that are willing to put that that part forward. And, um, you know, thank you so much for doing that. That's, that's really impressive. In regard to, to helping others as well, uh, let, let's talk a little bit about REAP as well. You see that big sign behind you, and uh, obviously, <laughs> REAP, is, REAP has done some incredible things. Uh, I know quite a few folks that have just done some great things behind REAP, which is pretty amazing. So what exactly is REAP, if you don't mind? And uh, tell us a little bit about it and the value uh, that it brings to the community. Yeah, I'd love to get perspective. And I know you've had, you know, a number of guests here that have some type of connection to reap through through the podcast. So I'll try to try to give it from a different, different perspective in terms of, you know, how I how I think about reap and you know, full transparency, that's how you and I met was through the, the reap program. So you know, I, I I compare reap almost to like a, a, a blend between Wakanda and Oz, right? <laughs> it's, it, to, to me, it, it, it literally is a magical place for, for black and brown people and, and women, really just people of color and, and women to, to come together and get exposed and learn more about just the commercial industry, the commercial real estate industry from a number of different verticals, right? So if you're coming into the REIT program and you've got a background in accounting, you can find a career in real estate with that background, right? Mm-hmm. If you're an attorney, you can find a career in real estate. If you're a broker, if you just did residential deals, like you can find a purpose in REIT. And a lot of times people 
don't know what they don't know. And, and nobody's out there saying, hey, we want you to be in commercial real estate. One, one thing that I noticed, Joe, is you know, in terms of residential, you, you see a lot of black and brown people in, in residential, right? And, and my perspective, this is just my personal view. And, and you know, I, I put that disclaimer out there because I don't want any shade, shade on you or your show. But for me, I think the perspective is that the majority will allow us to have residential and say, yeah, go, go do residential, do, do your thing, make all the money you can make, but kind of hold commercial close to the hip, right? <laughs> they're not giving away secrets of commercial. And they're not, I, in my perspective, this has just been my experience. If there's not, there hasn't been probably up until George Floyd's situation, there hasn't been an intentional initiative to get women and black and brown people into commercial real estate, right? So REAP for, for me has been that magical place where there is intention to get us into the business, right? And, and I haven't, you know, I've been involved with a number of different programs since going through REAP and I haven't really seen that magic anywhere else, right? And, and it almost feels, you know, I made the analogy of Wakanda and Oz. It's, it's an it's a imaginary place because really you're coming, these people are coming well-decorated already. You know, it's a pretty intensive selection process. You, you don't just walk up and say, I want to do REAP. Like you have to be, you have to be selected. There's a vetting process. There's an interview process, et cetera, to even get in. And then when you get in, like you're surrounded by people who have been doing their thing in their own respective areas, right? People are already coming with professional backgrounds and experience. And what you're doing is you're drawing off of that and everybody has the same goal in the sense that they want to learn more about commercial real estate. So you've got two different angles for REAP. You've got the entrepreneurship track. So say you're coming in, you're doing good career-wise. You've got capital. Maybe you you know left a couple of jobs. You've got a dormant retirement account or something like IRA. And you're just figuring like, hey, I want to get into real estate, but you know, I, I don't want to do the residential flip thing. I want to learn more about commercial. You're in an environment in REIT where you can learn more about how to make money in commercial just as an entrepreneur. But in addition to that, you're surrounded in a cohort of people that you can actually do those deals with, right? So you may have the investor and the entrepreneurship mindset, but you may be sitting next to somebody who's on the broker track or, you know, who has access to uh, properties or investors or what have you. Uh, and that and that is a value proposition for that particular program. The other track is, say you, you either are working in commercial and you're siloed. So generally you find black and brown people in property management. Mm -hmm. So if they're in property management, they kind of get stuck in property management and it's hard for them to pivot. So REAP can be a place to say, hey, look, I didn't know all these other careers exist because all I've been doing is property management my whole right. life. But yeah. now I want to move into capital markets. I want to go into asset management or brokerage or, you know, some of the other verticals. So you can you can come in like that with a little bit of either experience in the business or through residential or you could be trying to find a new career and, and commercial. Maybe you've heard about it and said, hey, look, I just want to. I just want to see what's out there. Maybe you've had an interest in it. So REAP is uh, kind of that place where it, it's a vehicle where you can get that exposure uh, and that experience, but also the network. And, and I tell people all the time, really, the value is in the network to me. And again, I'm a, I'm a deal guy. I put people together. I try to you know connect folks. And I've been able to have more success in the ecosystem that REAP has through being able to refer deals and do deals with people than I have in any other platform that I, or any, any other organization that I've been involved in. This is brand new. This is leadership programs. This All the other stuff that I've done, REAP has been that one place where it really feels like a, a collective and a family. And, you know, because of the way that that organization started with Mike Bush being a Jewish white man saying, hey, look, we need to do something different to what it is right now, to me, it's, it's, just, it's just a special place. And, and I have devoted a lot of time and energy. I've got a, a counterpart named Solomon, Solomon Colvin, and, and you'll spend some time with him later. But Solomon and I literally looked at it and was like, man, we, we, this is almost like 
the church. We got to spread the gospel. Like it, it, we had such a, such a life changing experience when we went through at uh, Emory University in 2012 that we decided we were going to invest our time into making sure that we helped more people get that exposure. Because it almost was like prior to us getting into to REIT in Atlanta, it was almost like a secret society. Like if you, mm-hmm. if you knew about REIT, then you were plugged in. But if you didn't, if you don't know, you don't know. Like, and it was a close-knit, close-knit circle uh, of folks. And it was kind of word of mouth. You almost got invited in. It was, it was real, what I would consider exclusive. Mm-hmm. And to me, that kind of worked against the, the purpose, right? So the purpose is to get as many of us in the business as possible. And you know this from being in commercial on the finance side, mm-hmm. you can be doing commercial deals and never see anybody that looks like you mm-hmm. and for the for the folks that are on the opposite side what i call the majority they're not sensitive to it they they don't understand the feeling of not having that warm handshake referral or that warm opportunity because they're just used to having it right mm-hmm. so you know for for us we can literally go into a room and walk into a deal and not be able to connect on a personal level with anybody and you still got to do the deal Right. And it's not comfortable and, and it and it does feel lonely. So with with reap being the Wakanda in the eyes for commercial real estate for us, it's like you're in a safe space where that energy and that ecosystem can can really help build up your confidence. Right. Because it, it really is a confidence thing. When you go into a room with a sea of people that don't look like you, it's kind of like, damn. Man, but when you walk in, when you're in a cohort in a room with with other colleagues that look like you to have similar struggles, similar backgrounds, et cetera, and objectives, have very similar objectives, and you can move collectively their strength and numbers, it it definitely helps to to boost your esteem. And it, it gives you probably what I would feel is encouragement to be able to succeed in the commercial real estate business. I think everybody can do commercial real estate. It's just being plugged in with the right, right, right people getting the right support. And I think that's really what REAP brings to the table is it creates that environment for support. So people can, can succeed in the business where they might be the minority and and they might not see people that, that look like them. Yeah. Yeah. No, very, very powerful words. You know, it's, it's amazing because uh, a lot of people wouldn't really understand that, that when you walk in a room like that, you're kind of thinking, okay, what stereotypes do I have to beat down? Or the fact that, you know, these folks might not be used to doing business with minorities, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's, it's kind of like, well, is this guy for real? Because I've never seen this before. I've right. never seen a, a Black person pull this off. So can they really do it? You know, and, and so you got all that second guessing that's going on. And, you know, it's been a, a, an interesting dynamic how over the years, more and more minorities, I would think, primarily on the corporate side, have been able to move up in certain positions to show that, hey, I understand these numbers, and if a deal works or if a deal makes sense, let's do the deal. You know, get what the person looks like from a color standpoint. So, um, but, you know, as well as I do, I mean, you know, we we always, there's always a long way to go when it goes to race relations, so... It, it's it's a crazy it's a crazy time. I, I'll tell you this: probably one of the the biggest uh, misnomers out there is that there's not black talent or there's not brown talent, right? Uh, and, and I I heard this coming just getting exposed into the business from you know folks who were in decision making positions is you know we'd love to hire more women and more black and brown people. We just don't, we, we just don't see them. They just don't exist. Like we don't, we don't, you know, we go to the job fairs, we go to the UGAs or the colleges, whatever. We just, we just don't see, you know, black people expressing or brown people expressing an interest in commercial real estate. And and every time I hear that, I'm like, what the hell? Who are y'all talking to? Who are, who are y'all talking to? Like, I got a, I got a, I got a whole list of people. I got a bit so deep of people that want to just get a taste of the the generational wealth that you've had had access to for for your entire life. But you know, that's that's the lie that you know gets gets told is that there's not talent. And and what I found, and and particularly in in the reef spaces. You've got people who, you know, their resume is is so impressive, right? You you got, you know, degrees and accomplishments and all kind of other stuff. And it, it, it's been my experience that, you know, generally 
black and brown people and, and women have to do twice as much to get the opportunities of, of their counterparts. And they have to be just as well, or if not more well decorated than, you know, some, some of their counterparts. So we have to do so much extra to get those opportunities. And, you know, it's, it's unfortunate, but, you know, the folks that are typically coming through the reprogram, they've already proven themselves to be a success in, in their respective area, their respective lane. And really, it's just a matter of these companies looking at the talent and saying, you know what, we can actually benefit from having this person in the room. We can actually benefit from having this person on the deal. And you think about, you know, some of the deals that you let. A lot of these deals are in urban markets. Mm -hmm. So they're doing these companies are doing deals in neighborhoods where (laughs) there should be black and brown representation. And they're saying, oh, we just can't find anybody. And, and you know, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it, and it wasn't probably until, you know, maybe maybe on the on the public sector side where you're getting, you know, some type of subsidies or some type of incentive where the public sector says, hey, look, for you to get this carrot that we're dangling, you've got to have a diverse team working this deal. Right. And then the company's like, oh, damn, who do we have? <laughs> who, who, who can we who can we reach out to to make sure we check this box so we can get so we can get this incentive? So you know that's that's what I've what I've found is with Reap is Reap has been more of a talent resource for who really don't get it right. They really for whatever reason they're disconnected with our community, and I and I'll tell you point blank. I I think that. You know, we are pretty much on the forefront of opening up the gates for everyone else, right? So it's generally, and that's kind of how that's how I view slavery. Like we got here first, we laid down the infrastructure, etc., and then everybody else came over. It was like, oh, it's gravy in the states, right? So I think it's gonna be like that for for commercial real estate too. It's gonna be like we're we're chipping away. We're you know two three percent of the industry workforce, but we're chipping away. We're doing all this work. We're going to probably open the doors. And then before you know it, we're going to have all kind of black and brown people in it. And, you know, they're, they're just going to come and say, hey, look, we didn't know about Wakanda. We didn't know about us, but we can appreciate the benefit from the work that was put in. And really, that's that's our legacy is we're we're providing. And I joke with people all the time. We're creating an underground railroad mm-hmm. into the business, right, <laughs> into the business and different areas. And we're and we're. I would say being strategic about it, right? So we're we're putting people in different roles with different companies, hoping that they will reach back and bring somebody with them. And I, and I think really that's that's the purpose. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's kind of interesting because I, I look at it also. Um, obviously, being on the finance side, this is the stuff that's in my face every day. But to the points that you were making, one of the big issues that we're dealing with now is that there has been money set aside. And hopefully in August, we're going to have a few shows that actually talk about this. But there's been money set aside, but a lot of it now is going solely toward affordable housing. And it's not that affordable housing is a bad thing, but it's almost like, okay, well, like how you mentioned before, we'll give you residential, but we're not going to give you commercial. So now it's almost like, well, we'll give you affordable over here in the hood, but the stuff in downtown or in midtown, we ain't going to give you. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, So it's, it's a constant tug of war. You know, to, to kind of and that's that's where a lot of us get started, though. A lot of, I mean, yeah. when you're in when you're in commercial real estate, and I, I mentioned property management. No shade to anybody in property management. Mm-hmm. Literally, that's a that's a great way to learn the business. So yeah. I respect it. I just know just from dealing with different companies and, and different people in the business that there's a, there is an unintentional label that goes mm-hmm. with property management where it makes it very challenging to pivot out of it, right? So very similar in, in the affordable housing spaces. Like once you get into affordable housing, like that's that's your label and, and they just think that's all you do. <laughs> that's all you yeah. do is affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And it, it, to your point, it almost is like our set aside in the commercial real estate yeah. space, right? So it's like where you see probably the biggest concentration of black and brown people is is in affordable housing. And some of that makes sense because affordable housing does impact our community significantly, mm-hmm. right? So it does make sense for us to be in that space, but not necessarily exclusively in that space. And and I've got to, you know, I've got to take a, a moment to shout out Integral, the Integral Group, because mm-hmm. they were Integral was very instrumental in helping uh Solomon and I bring Revive Reap, 
in Atlanta because Reef had gone dormant after we went through in, in 2012. And, and he and I literally had to go fly up to New York just to campaign to get the program back in Atlanta. Mm. And, you know, one of the requirements when we went to New York was, hey, you've got to have local support. We don't think there's local support in Atlanta to, to, to prop up a program. And, you know, at the time, you know, we're, we're at ICSC and the office, the big offices and, 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 you know, trying to work a deal with them. And we didn't have the support. Like we just winged it. We were like, Oh yeah, we got it. We'll, we'll get it. We'll get it. And they, and they were like, okay, if you bring us the support, we'll give y'all a program. And we flew back and, and I was, I was just on a mission and I got a lot of, a lot of no's Joe. A lot of folks were like, yeah, we hear this diversity thing. We hear you, but we're good. We're doing deals without you. So why, why, why do we need to open our door to black and brown people and women and, and et cetera? And, you know, Integral, uh, Everett Perry was the only one that, that told us yes. And he gave us, he gave us a shot and opened up his office in the 191 building downtown and said, Hey, look, I know you don't have anywhere to hold your classes. We're going to allow you to use our offices, our conference room, et cetera. And, you know, we'll support you any way that we can. And I, I will tell you, Joe, that literally was the turning point, right? So it, and it took months to get on his calendar. And I remember, I remember when we met, I had some colleagues, I'm not going to call their names out, but they told me I was crazy for running up on, on uh, Ebert, right? Mm-hmm. So he just, he had just done a C, CRE studio. He was a keynote speaker. And, you know, after a program, everybody's trying to reach you and shake your hand and exchange business cards or whatever. And uh, he ended up being interviewed by T. Dallas. Right. So T. Dallas Smith. And they were trying to take pictures. Right. So T. Dallas did. I mean, he didn't really know who I was, but basically I ran up on on both of them was like, hey. I need to talk to you, blah, 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 blah. And Dallas looked like, who the hell is this little guy? <laughs> like, boom, try to take pictures. And he kind of, he kind of, kind of did a Heisman and stiff arm. He was like, move, go somewhere. And Ebert stopped and was like, hey, give my secretary a call. Let, you know, let's, let's talk. And that one exchange gave me hope. I was like, oh, damn, we, we might have a shot. Right. So, you know, let them go take pictures or whatever. And I, I went on my separate way and it, it literally took months to get on his calendar, but it just, it just took persistence. And then once we actually sat down, he allowed me to come to his office. Mm-hmm. And once we sat down and he could tell how passionate we were about trying to get this thing back up and running, he said, absolutely. And that one, yes, turned into a number. Of yes. Cause then the other companies were like, Oh damn, you got, yeah. you got integral at the table. Okay. Yeah. Now, now let's talk. Now let's, now let's talk. And, and, and the rest is history. The rest is history. Yeah, nobody wants to be the first one in the pool, right? So right, right, right. So shout shout out to Ebert, shout out to Integral, Eric, and the rest of the team there because they they were phenomenal in terms of really supporting us for a number of years, and still still do to this day. Honestly, absolutely, absolutely. Now, good stuff, good stuff. It's a good team down there. So uh, let's open it up to uh, Q and A. We got a little bit of time left here. Zanine uh, had a uh, question here in the box. What do you predict will be the future opportunities for Black and Brown folks? pivoting into the C-suite and into more lucrative positions in CRE companies in the Atlanta metro area. So that's a mouthful, but uh, what do you think? Yeah, so so the opportunities definitely have changed. And I mentioned, you know, the, the George Floyd incident, and it's unfortunate that he had to lose his life for the majority to really get it, that mm-hmm. there's a lot of disparities that, that have existed. It, it's just real interesting how we went from courting companies to companies reaching out to us, right? And and you know my my inbox, my email, my phone was blowing up. I was like, what what is it? And and literally, Joe, we used the we we shared the exact same struggle we were sharing before, but they just were hearing it now. Yeah, and yeah. it took that brother losing his life. So you know, to to Denise's question, I would say in terms of opportunities now that these corporations have a new awakening of stuff we are the struggle we already we've always had right now is 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 still a time where being black and brown is is a is a thing right it's a, it's a positive thing in the 
in the corporate space and the commercial space. Uh, and not not everybody is excited about it, right? You got a lot of DEI positions that have been created and mm-hmm. et cetera. And that's where I've been seeing a lot of my counterparts who are very well decorated, very educated, great, great experience. They are finding opportunities through the the ESG and DEI initiatives, right? And uh, essentially these companies are being called to the carpet about not having diverse representation in their leadership, decision-making, their board of directors, et cetera. And if anybody, if, if, if nobody's familiar with ESG, look it up, mm-hmm. but, but that is becoming a, a topic of discussion where companies are now being held accountable for not having that diversity. And a lot of them are scrambling because that's never been top of mind for them. So to Denise's question, I would say, you know, looking at companies for the the culture, right? And and if they do have initiatives that that involve social equity, inclusion, et cetera, those are companies where they're going to have more of an appetite for black and brown leadership Mm-hmm. And for people who have that aspiration, that's where you start building relationships and you start networking. Because once we get into a position where we've infiltrated, right, and, and, I, and I call it the, the analogy is the Trojan horse. So once we get in, right, and we have somebody who's actually in a decision-making position, then we can they can reach back and bring others with them. And that kind of opens up the floodgates. So, you know, typically you're going to see uh, black and brown people that are coming in and entry level positions. And, and that's kind of given and you say, hey, look, we've got diversity now because we've got X number of people and we're checking that box. When you start to see companies that have a cultural alignment where they support black and brown talent at the leadership and decision making level, that's when you start to see the the landscape change. And I think that's where the opportunity is, is for the companies that really get it. Those are the companies where I see the most growth potential for people of color who who have those aspirations. And we we need people in the rooms. I will tell you personally, Joe, and you kind of know my background, Mm -hmm. a lot of the stuff that I do is centered around just being in the room. And, and and literally being at the table so I can be a voice for somebody else, right? And, and that's board seats, that's leadership positions, et cetera, is I go after those positions and I throw a lot of stuff at the wall. Mm-hmm. Like most people don't even know half the stuff I get turned down for. <laughs> they see they see the wins like, damn, Q's killing it. Like, no, I'm not killing it. That's just the stuff that sticks and I promote the positive, right? I stay focused on the positive. But having that leadership in the room and then knowing I've got a bench of talent from REAP that I can I can advocate for while I'm in the room is, is really what we've got to do. And for me, that's that's my legacy. Like if I die tomorrow, I've got enough people, Joe, honestly, that that I personally have, have put my name out there for, have vouched for, have tried to assist on my way up. And, and there's a, a brother, I think you had Jay Bailey at one, one point. He, he, he is infamous for saying, you know, build, build as you climb. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I really believe that like literally you're, you're ascending, you're trying to do your thing. You're, you, you know, you're uh, being successful, but you're not forgetting about the people that also need a leg up as well. And everybody's path is going to be different. Right. So on the leadership track, if, if we can get more people in decision-making positions, then that is what really helps to turn the curve. So, Deneen, I appreciate the question. Definitely the, the leadership, the, the pendulum seems like it's swung. We won't have this momentum forever. It's going to be something else that's going to take, it's going to take, a, take, a, take away from, you know, having this black, this focus on black and brown and diversity and, and you know, social equity. But, you know, I, I say right now, now is the time. Now is the time. You got to grab it while you can get it. That's for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a short window. It's a short yeah. window. Better get, get, get your feet in, too, before it closes. It's like the real estate market, right? It's a cycle, right? It's a cycle. It's up and then it's down, right? You got about a 10, 10, to, 10 to 15 year window. Is you, you booming and then it, it falls back down, right? And turns yeah, exactly, exactly. Cassandra, your question is specific to a course coming up. So since this is a live show, we're going to uh, defer that one for a minute. Uriah, let's uh, ask yours real quick. Can you expound on how Servant leadership has been instrumental in your CRE career. Also, are there any future opportunities for the National Reef Conference uh, led by the Atlanta chapter? All right, good question. 
Yeah, so I, 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 yeah, I'll touch on it. So in terms of in terms of the ser- servant leadership, I, I'll tag that first, right? I, pr- I appreciate you uh, dialing in. You know, I'm, I'm humbled by you know all the folks who who have plugged in. I appreciate Joel sharing his his platform. Uh, in terms of in terms of the servant leadership, really what that's what that's done for me personally is that's allowed me to connect with a lot of people that I really would not have had access to, right? Just by putting uh, my peers and, and and my people, Wakanda forever, <laughs> my people, you know, top of mind, right? Because I, I understand that there's a need. And, and, you know, generally when I'm talking to people, the analogy that I use is the civil rights movement, right? So Atlanta was the birth of the civil rights. Mm-hmm. And, and the civil rights movement was, was intentional in the sense that it was designed to help put black and brown people at a better position from an equity perspective, right? It's just like, we just want to be treated fairly. We just want to, we just want our civil rights, right? So we want, we want our rights. So there's a legacy for the people who were servant leaders during that time, right? They, they went through a lot, a lot of sacrifices to provide us with the liberties that we have from voting to being able to drink out of the same water fountain as, as the majority Etc. So, from my perspective as servant leadership in CRE, that's my civil rights. That's that's my my legacy. Is I I see an issue, and that's generally where I, where I find creating value for me, right? Or purpose is find an issue and be part of the solution. And for me, my legacy is going to be being a a change agent in the commercial real estate space because I see there's a problem. I see there's a need, and for me. I'm devoting everything that I have to make that change, to change it. It's, it's one thing just to complain. Like I go to a NAOP or a ULI or a ICSC, no shade on any of those organizations, but there's not a lot of diversity prior to George Floyd. Right now, everybody's got a DEI initiative, which is cool. But prior to that, there, there, wasn't, there wasn't that connection. There wasn't that welcomeness, that openness. So for me, it's like I could go and complain. I could not talk to anybody. I could just you know, say, look, I'm giving up our CRE or I could do something to change it. And essentially that's what I devoted my, my career and, and my life's work to is changing, trying to help that landscape. So when I do go into a room, I do feel comfortable because I see others like me. And because REAP is the Wakanda that it is, and the mm-hmm. odds that it is when I see other folks that are wearing their, their REAP pin and they're representing and, you know, it, it's a certain energy that that you have and that just comes from devoting that that time so that's part of the servant leadership is just diving into commercial real estate seeing that there's an issue and being part of the change to correct to correct that issue in terms of you know future opportunities uh, on the national national reap side of things and particularly you know stuff that's going on with the atlanta chapter i've got to shout denine and, and then jerry those are the two young ladies who are running the Atlanta chapter, which really is a regional, uh, you know, regional chapter now. Uh, they're running it and, and they're allowing myself and Solomon to, to, to advise, right? So we're, we're feather dusters now. We're old school. We're, we're, not, we're not on the front line anymore. But what that's done is that's allowed us to really focus on business development and uh, trying to bring more resources to the the organization and it's not just at a regional level we are courting companies nationally to try to come on board as sponsors and to really buy in uh, to the mission so i'd say really the opportunity right now is for companies to recognize that they do have or they should have a dei initiative or esg initiative that has a social impact vertical into it and that we can be part of that solution and for any company that wants to join and lock arms and, and really be part of the movement, that's where I see the opportunities. Because once we get these companies on board, I think it opens up career opportunities, job opportunities, et cetera, for the folks who are coming through the program. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very true. There was another question here about, um, uh, is it correct that a BA is needed as a requirement to get into the REIT program? Uh, what is the reasoning behind that? So is that something you think you might be able to tackle? Yes. Yeah, so I, I think the question is specific to having a college degree. I think that's really the angle there, right? And I don't think it's it's, it's exclusive to business, uh, but you do have to have a college degree. And, and is 
you know, again, I, I mentioned that REAP is a, a very competitive program and it's not for everybody. Right. And, and one of the the ways that they uh, are able to select and and weed out, I guess, uh, prospects is, hey, do you meet certain criteria? And having a college degree is one of them. I know personally that I've had people who are extremely successful in their own respective rights, but may have, you know, dropped out of college or whatever. And I've, I've campaigned to try to get them in. And, and that's a hard line that, that reap in New York has taken is like, no, they need to at least have a college degree. And I think part of that is that when they go to these companies, that's an expectation, right? Uh-huh. So REAP historically has been a resource, if you will, for companies, for commercial real estate companies, anywhere from Walmart to Starbucks to McDonald's, Simon Group, et cetera. And, you know, they expect you to have a certain education. They expect you to have a certain level of it. And because those companies are sponsors, they provide money to help keep the program going. If it's their requirement, it's got to be REAP's requirement as well. So that's a long-winded way of answering that. But I will say that in my experience, particularly with selection, that that a degree is needed. And sometimes that's the that's the incentive that people have when they're applying. It was like, oh, I wasn't going to finish my degree, but I'm serious enough about wanting to get into commercial real estate and I see the value of the program. I'm going to go finish these little credits that I should have been done a long time ago. I'm going to go back and get it done. And I've actually seen people do that where they go finish their degree and then they come back and, and they're, you know, end up being great, great candidates and really uh, learning from the program. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Let's do this. Uh, I know Renata Bell had a question. Myra uh, Boris. Let's get yours, and then we'll circle back to uh, Renata. We'll try to squeeze that in as well. Um, and I appreciate uh, these questions. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. So, Myra, what's what's your question that you have for Quinn today? Yes. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you uh, for answering my question or choosing me. Uh, I wanted to quickly just give uh, Brother Q um, his flowers. He was uh, one of the, f- the first people who uh, answered my call before I transferred over to Atlanta. And so when Q says he's a change agent, he um, intentionally demonstrates that through his actions. So I do want to just, you know, commend Q and just thank him for all that he's doing, you know, whether he knows it or doesn't know it. But he's he's greatly helped me in my um, CRE career. And also I'm also a graduate of Project REAP. But moving forward, my question is, uh, Q, what do you see or what do you want to see in the next five to 10 years in the CRE space? Thank you, Myra, for the question. And, and I'm going to ask you the comment section so I can send you a little token. I, I appreciate it. She is now officially on payroll. Uh, so, so, you know, what, what I see is really the, the landscape change, honestly. And, and that's, that's really what we're all doing is we're all collectively trying to make something happen. Like, generally, you don't, when you're making history, you don't look at it like that. Like, you don't know you're making history. But you're literally making history. And I think all of us are doing that in the CRE space through us helping to get more people into the business is we're making history because historically we haven't been present. Right. So the next five years, three to five years, I think is very indicative of what we're seeing in the country. You know, you, you, you know, the census data the the browns the black and the browns are growing right and it's making a lot of people nervous <laughs> it's making a lot of people upset i see that in commercial real estate too i see more women more people of color coming into the business finding their way into the business and intentionally helping others get into the business as well and if you get into the business not everybody's experience is going to be great but if you can get into the business and stay like it, it's an uncomfortable space because it's not a lot of people like you. But if you, you you take one for the team and think about, you know, people coming through the civil rights era, just just weather the storm, hold on to your position and, and strive to be in a position where you can make decisions, where you can bring somebody else in. If we all collectively do that over the next three to five years, the entire landscape changes and it does end up becoming a, a, a better place for us to have successful careers. And really the, the the secret sauce in commercial real estate is learning 
how generational wealth is created. And then going, telling somebody that looks like you how generational wealth is created through commercial real estate. And if we can master that, if we can do a better job of being intentional about that, I think it's going to help our culture collectively because that's a game that historically we have not been invited to play. Yeah, yeah, very good point. Appreciate you bringing that out. And um, we've got about four minutes left, and I, I thought this would be a good question to kind of end on. Uh, Renata Bell has a question here. What does your organization look for in a partnership? Uh, how would you answer that? So it used to be just a check, right? <laughs> like, long as you cut checks, then we can be partners. But but now it, it's evolved in, into so much more, right? So essentially, we're looking for allyship, we're looking for sponsorship, and we're looking for partnership. And what that looks like is you're covering all bases, and it's not just writing a check. Like, we want the involvement, we want the engagement, we want the companies to be intentional because we're intentional. Like the the most valuable thing we have, Joel, is time. And I don't want to waste any company's time and I don't want any company wasting my time. If you're checking a box, I'm good on that. If you are really serious about making a change, then we have the talent and the resources to help you with that change. And, And essentially, that's what we look for in companies and in partnerships is uh, a, a leadership that really the change and understands the value proposition that we have because we're bringing the talent that they said didn't exist. <laughs> That's the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Oh, we don't know. There's no black and brown talent. BS. And yeah. I'll call it that. <laughs> you, you can circulate this wherever you want to circulate it. And, and it, you know, the, the views of Quinn do not reflect the views of Joe <laughs> But I, I, I will tell you, that that's BS, and we call BS every time that we hear it, and that's that's essentially what we're doing is trying to make sure that we find companies and corporations that really get it, that want to put their money where their mouth is, and are willing to not just cut a check, but also get involved, and that could be in kind and a number of different other uh, ways. And and if anybody has questions, you can find me on LinkedIn. Like I will I will get you connected. <laughs> To be able to make the to, to fill that void because there is a gap and, and studies have shown that when there's talent, there is a different level of success as opposed to being in a room where everybody looks the same, thinks the same, acts the same, etc. There is value in diversity. Yeah, yeah. Or Quinn, if I may add, uh, if you need to touch base with Quinn, just go out to networking functions. You'll see him there. <laughs> yeah, this is this is this is true. this is true. I, I'm I'm trying to I'm as visible as as I can be uh, because it it makes sense for me to be in the rooms and meeting people because that network is is critical in terms of being able to to expand the mission that we have. And I I put my LinkedIn information my link in the chat. So if anybody wants to connect off offline, please feel free to reach out to me. I'd love I could talk to Joel for another hour about this. Yeah. This is that I'm passionate about, but I know he's he's short on time. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. And uh let's see here. There was a question from Cassandra. I would say if you don't mind, afterwards get in touch with Deneen or even Jerry. They'll be happy to answer the questions about the programming scheduling uh, over the next few weeks and, and what that looks like. So I, I didn't want to. I think we forgot your, your message there. But um, yeah, this was fantastic, Quinn. Uh, certainly appreciate it. I've been in those rooms before where it was like, we just don't know of any minorities that, that are in this space. You know, it's like, you know what? Sit right there. I'll be right back. Because I mean- Yeah, hold that thought. Yeah, hold, hold that, that thought, thought, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. You two say, right. oh, just pull my phone up and then I give you anything you want, right? Right. So, Anytime uh, you hear that, call me. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Because we'll shut that down in a minute. So absolutely. But um, Quinn, I wanted to end on something that I thought you said, which was uh, very good, and it was talking about, you know, what what's your legacy going to be? And I know there's an exercise that that I've done before, which is uh, basically writing out an obituary. You know, what what will people be able to say about you know you and what you've accomplished uh, through your life? You know, it's kind of sad when. Uh, oftentimes, you, you, I mean, I've been to memorial services and funerals where there's like nothing to say. There's yep. like the person just, just got up every day and then went to bed, you know, and, and yeah. there was nothing accomplished. And you're like, how could you do that for like 50 years and, and just do nothing, right? So, right. you know, so that, that's a good exercise, I would say, for anybody on this call, you know, or anybody listening to this podcast, 
Uh, we've had thousands of downloads. We're excited about that. So please continue to listen and tell your friends about it. But, um, you know, write that out. Do that exercise for yourself and see really where you want to be when you grow up and uh, start working toward achieving those goals because you can actually get there with the help of Project Reap and, and CCIM and these other programs that are out there. The door's finally open. The question is, well, you'll step through it. So absolutely. I tell people all the time, Joe, work on the dash, right? You yeah. got a start date. You got an end date that's on the tombstone. Work on the dash. Whatever you do, work on the dash and that'll make the difference. Exactly. Exactly. So, Quinn, this has been beautiful. It's been an exciting phone call. And uh, yeah, you're right. We could talk another couple of hours. But then uh, my other meetings will get upset with me today. So I guess we got to shut it down here. But uh, it's been fantastic. And to all the guests, we thank you for being here today. It was fantastic. And for your participation. And uh, Quinn, you're always invited back. So we thank you so much for being here. And, Appreciate uh, you. And salute to you, too, for doing an awesome job. Thank you. Thank you. So this has been the, the Morning with Joel CRE podcast. Please continue to turn in for all the exciting discussions like this. And uh, Quinn, again, thank you for being uh, the man that you are and bringing the value that you bring. We thank you so much for that. We appreciate you. Absolutely, Joe. Thanks for having me. And thank you for everybody who, who did join uh, and who listened. Anybody who hear the sound of my voice, I appreciate you. <laughs> All right. Have a great day, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Mornings with Joel CRE podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to write a brief review. And as always, continue to invite, share, and subscribe.